0: Don't talk to me unless it's about Conversations with Friends by Sally Rooney, part two. Today we're talking about the second half of this book, which is full of Sally Rooney's brilliant depictions of human miscommunication that both draw you in so deep and make you crazy at the same time. We're going to talk about all the characters in relation to one another, like we did last time, and we're going to start with Francis and Nick. So I want to go back to thinking about when Francis and Nick started. And do you think that Nick was taking advantage of Francis by starting this relationship? I think that's an interesting question.
1: I wouldn't have expected that that Nick was taking advantage of Francis. What makes you think that? So this obviously, is what... you asked the question.
0: Yeah, So this is Philip. Her friend Philip had, when he found out about the affair and he was really upset, he was really upset because he was like, "I can't believe you'd let him take it, someone take advantage of you like that." And Francis yeah. was very much like, What? That's very defensive of that. And it made me wonder. I mean, me ask myself that question and want to hear what you thought about it too.
1: Okay. Way to bring it back to that comment because that really stuck out to me when I was rereading it the second time in particular. And I almost viscerally felt the same reaction that Francis had, which I think is like pretty defensive. Like, <clears throat> Why do you assume that he's taking advantage of me, that I, that he's like preying on me because I'm younger? What are the assumptions that this other person is making when they say something like that? Because to me, Francis was the instigator. I don't think Nick ever would have made a move on her. I think he feels like she's too sparkly and interesting for him. And I think that's true to me. I honestly don't get why she wants to be a part of this relationship with this older person. That's so complicated. She's in college. Like, I I just can't fathom being in her shoes in that way. So I don't think, to answer your question, that Nick is taking advantage of her. I guess I could see from the outside if you... That you might think an older man was preying on a younger woman in that way is like having a fair.
0: The way you ask the question, what would make you assume I'm being taken advantage of? I think that assumption comes from he's married and so he's unavailable. He's not available for a permanent relationship. And the assumption is that anyone, probably mostly a woman, a young woman is looking for that and can't have it. And I feel like by the end of this book, I think Frances does want Nick exclusively to herself. And much much she always says, I don't want to, I don't actually want that. And everyone else says, we know you don't really want Nick to leave his wife. I don't buy it. And maybe that is my mm-hmm. personal bias, but I feel like there's lots of things Frances says. And the time when she and Nick were public and Melissa knew, she took so much comfort in, in that and in being his. And she hated when she wasn't his only person. And so I do think Nick was taking advantage of her. And I think by the end of it, it also showed me I think Nick, I think Nick's okay with non-monogamy. I don't think Francis is as much as she would like to think she's that kind of person. And the thing, I think the thing that really drove me crazy is that they never talked about it until like much, much later. From the outset, there was no discussion of what does either of us want out of this to know is someone kind of being taken advantage of. That's
1: fair. That is all fair. And I see exactly where you're coming from. In terms of, I guess for me, when I think of the way that Nick could be taking advantage of her. Is that it sounds he was like he was super depressed and having emotional issues and issues in his relationship. And Francis turned that around for him. And it sounds makes his relationship with Melissa better. And so, in a way, she's like the outlet for his unhappiness instead of him trying to find that for that for himself. From- yeah.
0: That's interesting because I had wanted to ask you also about both their self-worth and I feel like Francis doesn't have, get any self-worth from within. It comes from Bobby and Nick. And and it doesn't even come from anyone else because there is no one else in her life. There are no mm-hmm. other friends. And I felt like I was trying to think, oh, where do I think Nick's self-worth comes from? And I think at the time when they started, I think it totally came from Francis. Like she, I think he said, and Melissa also said, no one would believe that someone would be attracted to him at that stage. And so I think he got it from Francis. but then I feel like by the end, I was trying to decide, By the end of the book, was he getting it from himself or was he getting it from Melissa because then Melissa wanted him back too?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I do think he seemed to be doing more things that he loved and cared about. So cooking, Melissa references this in the email heard round the world, which I'm sure we'll talk about (laughs) later. (laughs) Because, wow, but yeah, it sounds like he had started doing more of the things that made him happy. Whether that was inspired by Francis or what, I don't know. But obviously it seemed like that continued even after they were no longer in whatever their relationship was. And then they caught up. He seemed to be still in a good
0: place. It was like she was his training wheels. Yeah. Yeah. So in that regard... I guess he was using her. Not yeah, whether, maybe consciously. Nor, uh, yeah. I don't mm-hmm. think consciously. I don't yeah. think so either. Yeah. We know power <laughs> was a big dynamic between the two of them, power and control. They had so many interesting conversations about that. And I was trying to pick up on patterns of, okay, when are the moments that Frances feels in control and like she has power and is empowered? And when are the moments when she feels out of control? and out of power and Mm -hmm. I was trying I think maybe it was that she felt power over him when she felt his affection and was like yes he likes me I have power but then anytime she noticed her own affection that made her feel powerless and made her want to lash out regardless of if he was being nice or mean or anything if she noticed her feelings for him that made her flip the switch
1: yeah I think that's one of the most brilliant things that Sally Rooney explores in this book because I find it so interesting. I think when I, you had pointed me to the Pop Fiction Women podcast, which also mm-hmm. did an episode about this book, and they quoted Sally Rooney as talking a bit about how Francis finds power in words. And so often, her power is from these really maybe coy or even harsh chats that she sends him, or texts or emails. She feels like there's a lot of moments where there's like this excitement from their rapport back and forth, the way that she talks with him via written word, and how Sally Rooney thinks that is a cop out, and that that we've taught people that power is this. Way of hiding your feelings and not being vulnerable, and that's power. But in reality, power is being weak and not weak, but vulnerable and open. And I think there that dance is happening like this whole book with Francis, and I just think it's really interesting the way that she's showing Nick often will show his cards a bit more and Frances really holds them pretty close to her chest for most of the book until close to the end when she tells him that she loves him. And admits it to herself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was the first. Yes, I'm very glad you brought up Pop Fiction Women. Shout out to them. I was very excited that their episode came out before we had the part two talks so that we could talk about our thoughts on everything they shared. And I thought that was very telling of the power in writing and of having things very much wrapped up and said in the way you want them to be. Even though in reality, you're still just as powerless to how people perceive your writing as you are to how they perceive your yourself in conversation. But you have a lot more time to think about what you want to say when you're writing and you're not, especially for Frances, she was always interpreting the looks people give her or the, she thought everything is a game, I think. And so I feel like when she was behind her computer screen, she could shut that part of her brain off a little. At least she didn't have to see people looking at her. She was still interpreting, what did someone mean by this? But she had more space to compose her witty phrases or anything.
1: Yeah, and I think the ultimate moment when she sees the, like, how false that is to some degree, is when she does write that story. And I think she feels really excited and powerful about the fact that it got noticed and they wanted to pay her. and. She decides not to tell Bobby that the story that's essentially about her is going to be in this publication. And I think truly doesn't think that it will be problematic. And it's really like hurtful. And so it's like that moment where like something that she perceives as, oh, this is great. My words are, I'm super powerful. I have this thing that's going to be published. Like I'm going to be admired for this. It's like, actually the opposite reaction happens from this person that she really cares about. I think that's an interesting moment of potential revelation for her.
0: I think, I hadn't thought about that. I think you're right. She, it didn't actually occur to her. She was totally naive, how hurtful it would be. I had been thinking she knew and was just being too much of a coward to Mm -hmm. do anything about it. But I think that makes more sense that she (laughs) just didn't see it. And for her, she kept being like, but it's writing, so everything's embellished, or being like, oh, I can just say it. it's fiction. So it's but obviously Bobby's gonna know the parts that are yeah. real and the parts that are Frances's perceptions. And yeah, it was the when Bobby confronted her about it, Frances' reaction was insane to me because that's like you are addressing none of the actual issues or concerns here. It was just like you wouldn't know anything about needing money. And I'm like, that is not what Bobby is talking about, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, that was. Yeah, there's so many, there's so many things tied up in in that whole thing. And I do think there's part of it that was her wanting the money, but also I think it was a power thing too, or like an ego, an ego thing more than the money, really. But it got, that was all tangled in there as well. I think the money, that's something I want to talk about at some point. We don't have to talk about it right now, but I do think as in, I think I've only read two of Sally Rooney's books, but in both of them i feel like class is this underlying character
0: (laughs) definitely well yeah let's just talk about it now already i was like oh we started with francis and nick and we're on francis and bobby and we'll come back to francis and nick but they're all intertwined Mm -hmm. not separate so yeah what have been your thoughts about class and money especially in this book
1: it comes out so much more in the second half of the novel but that's also part of the power dynamic between her and Nick as well and it becomes explicitly said by Nick at one point when he was saying I'd like to give you money I think it would make me happy to do so knowing you need it more than me and the power dynamics are already so off because I'm having an affair and I'm married and he really named it there. And yet they still end up in a scenario where he gives some money. And I just, I think that, I think it's very interesting that the way that Sally Rooney wrote the book, both of the love interests for Francis are wealthy, very attractive people. And she sees herself as she definitely has privilege in some ways. Like she has this apartment and she gets this allowance from her dad, but it's more precarious.
0: Yeah, there is no other character who's in her situation. And you'd think of four characters, you know, one one other person could come from Frances' background. But I hadn't thought about that. No one else does, especially her two love interests. I feel like Frances... Has probably changed her thoughts on money by the end of the book because when she does finally make that 800 euro or whatever it was for the story, she says she just feels amazing. She feels so capable, so powerful. She's finally able to feel love for her dad because she doesn't feel like crushed under the weight of needing his money. And I was happy to see that. I was a little bit of a, I feel like there is a little bit of need for this, like real. I feel a desire for her to have real life, like hey, I don't know what you're doing trying to be like living at the poverty level when you have skills and abilities that can make you money. I don't know what you think you're proving. I think she brings up a lot of really important ideals, but I feel like she had a a disconnect of applying it to real life. Yeah. And I, but I still don't know when she had that phone call with Melissa, when she confronted her, why did you email Bobby my story? And then they get on to this kind of whole fight. And Melissa says, you came in just wanting to ruin my life. You thought, oh, here's this bourgeois woman, bourgeoisie woman. And I have this nice house and you just hated it. And you wanted to destroy it. And Francis said, no, I was so jealous of it. I wanted to steal it. And I don't know if I believe Francis. I don't. What do you think? Do you think she was trying to destroy it or have it or both? Uh, I think it
1: was envy. Yeah, I think it was envy. I don't think she, but envy would make you act in a way to try and take that from the person who has it
0: yeah yeah i think it was both and that she because she also hated melissa from the start and she even asked herself later in the book oh if i had seen melissa and nick happy would i have still had this affair and i was i think you were attracted to nick even before you knew he wasn't happy with his wife so i don't know if that really would have panned out so i think she was really jealous of her I wanted to destroy her and also steal it a little bit, but replace her.
1: Yes. Yeah. Be her.
0: Yeah. She was published. She looked so highly upon people who are published.
1: Yeah. I think she aspires to be her. And I think it's really interesting in that email that Melissa wrote when she found out about the affair that... Melissa herself almost compares the two of them multiple mm-hmm. times. Oh, saying that Nick is attracted to,
0: what is it, plain cold women or something mm-hmm. like that? Yeah. And we're attracted to him for the same reasons because he brings this stability that we, we didn't have out with our drunk father. father. Yeah.
1: So I think there's something really interesting there and we talked about this a little bit last time where it's funny in a different world I feel like Melissa and Francis could have been like almost like a mentor protege relationship there could have been something different there and somehow because of the like romantic entanglements where Bobby was attracted to Melissa. And so initially, I think Francis was jealous of that.
0: And maybe also jealous of that. If she had met Melissa before she became as successful, I wonder if that would have opened up this mentor-mentee relationship, that she was also jealous of her success.
1: Yeah. But I do think it's interesting like how it's almost like Melissa is Francis in her dream scenario ten years from now and she like hates her for it <laughs> I don't know the way beings <laughs> are complex that way because yeah
0: yes it's very hard to understand what Francis wants because I don't think she allows herself to feel desires and she when she has the exit interview with that internship you can tell she's always conflicted feelings like maybe I actually don't want to leave the office. I have to maintain my facade. I don't care about the literate world. And there was a moment when they were talking about monogamy. And I think the sentence was the group started talking about monogamy, which was a topic I had nothing to say about. That's insane. Of course, you have something to say about this. And it was like she stopped herself from ever. She wouldn't let herself have opinions on things. And. I took it to be that she was too embarrassed or, yeah, use the word cowardly again, to take a stand and risk Bobby, someone like that, like taking her down. What do you think about her not taking a stand or about her kind of being like, I don't care about the literary world, yet I obviously do?
1: Yeah. I think it's a really well-written character because I think that is something that some young people struggle with. And it's a funny people-pleasing behavior To Yeah, I think there's at one point she says something to to Bobby, like people think I'm smart because I stay quiet when other people are arguing. And yeah, I think that's really interesting. It's almost like she, I think this whole book, she's really trying to find her voice, find herself. It's this young person coming of age, becoming an adult with knowing who you are, being willing to share that, stand up for something Mm -hmm. that you care about, have goals, and she's not there yet. And I think she, the two other people in her life in this story that do have that are Melissa and Bobby.
0: I can really relate, unfortunately, to (laughs) this feeling of not knowing how to have goals for yourself, not wanting to take a stand, I think it's still something I work on, but I do think it's gotten better with time of it feeling like this super exposing thing to do. And I think what Francis would often do is she'd read the room and think, okay, would it be more advantageous to play devil's advocate here and seem superior or to be agreeable and funny and witty? And I can totally relate to having those feelings and thoughts and trying to figure out like, what will make me most likable in this moment?
1: Yeah, I definitely can relate to that as well. And I think it's a really powerful moment. And I think like Francis is quite far from this, even still by the end of the book, when you get to a place where you stop doing those calculations. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why Melissa is so polarizing for Francis. Maybe Melissa is more that way and that in some of the sort of she's not she's a flawed character as well she's having these outbursts about this person that's coming to visit them while they're in france and i i don't know even the way that she wrote that email when she sent it she clearly doesn't hair she doesn't about yeah the experience of the other person in the way that i think francis is constantly calculating
0: definitely one of francis had a- Minimal reactions to that email, which was funny in itself. Um, <laughs> That's hilarious. But what basically the only reactions she had were, Melissa's trying to show me who's in charge here, that she's the writer. And it also struck me that it was written a stream of consciously without paragraph breaks, as if she was trying to show me, look at all the emotions I have about this. I'm like, well, of course she has emotions about this. She just about her husband's having an affair. Why in the world would she write you a measured, paragraphed, capitalized, proof red email.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I hold on. I want to look at this email cuz we should just talk about it. I'm just going to find the page. I'm here. There it is, here it is. 224. Yeah, 224. What a burn. You should know that Nick is not primarily attracted to good-looking or morally worthy people. Wow.
0: That- <laughs> but it takes her down too, so it's like only a half
1: burn. <laughs> And he has a weak personality and compulsively tells people what they want to hear. Wow. Yeah.
0: Do you feel to me, this email didn't tell me anything, didn't hardly told me anything about Francis and Melissa. I got the sense, okay, Melissa does seem to feel inferior here. She feels threatened Mm -hmm. and she feels replaced and she feels like Francis kind of won. But I feel like it told me everything about Melissa and Nick that I just read this email and was thought there's no possible way this woman actually loves Nick. You couldn't say this about someone that you truly love. I think by the end of the book, she feels differently about him, potentially for like superficial reasons that she just saw him as shinier because the 21-year-old did. Yeah. But what was your take on that? Do you think she actually loves Nick? To me, when I
1: read this... I thought it was interesting because I do think it is something that someone in a long-term relationship could or would write when they become complacent and almost hold their partner in contempt, even though they're, there is a lot of care and love there to some degree. But I think she's grown to feel this, like, the contempt you can only feel for someone that that intimately. Mm -hmm. It's like they drive you crazy. I guess it's,
0: yeah, when you know someone that well, and if your switch is flipped mm -hmm. to be mad at them. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Change things.
1: (laughs) And yeah, I think it's like, I do think she loves him. And I think it's probably been a long time since she felt... Obviously, there's like a disconnect there. He's Mm -hmm. having an affair. He's really unhappy. She's also had affairs. There's something that's dysfunctional there, but I do think there's care there. And yeah, like I like and I think you said that really well. It's like when you're really mad at someone. That you have such an intimate history with, I think you could say some of the meanest things about them. Scary. It is. So yeah, I think that's an interesting thing about the email. I also think there's so many things in there. Did you have lines that you underlined?
0: Most things. Most things I was underlining, I think was just the way she was ripping apart Nick. She also, she made an interesting point about, oh, just because I had an affair, all of a sudden my feelings don't count. And I think that brings up a very interesting point of, does she get to care less because she already had an affair herself? Or is she like, Yeah, she's not merited that kind of distress, but I don't think she's that she shouldn't be allowed to feel anything or express anything here. And yeah, yeah, I think the second time I read it, I also saw more of her feeling like she lost and Mm. wondering if he ever loved me. I know I've been replaced and I know I can't ask him to stop seeing you. I do want him to be happy. Maybe this really makes me realize the things I'm willing to go to for him to be happy and the insanity of any ending this with maybe we could all have dinner together. To me, this is the part I cannot imagine a world in which these people just hang out and they all had dinner and they'd be playing in the yard together. And I just that felt so it's like unfeasible to me. And maybe I just cannot compartmentalize the way other people could. (laughs) What was your take on that? I do think there
1: is some theme or question or something going on through this book of non-monogamy versus monogamy. And in Pop Fiction Women podcast, when they talked about the book, I thought it was funny because they got in an argument over, like, who was the true love for France? I can't remember. They were arguing over, like,
0: they were talking about the building metaphor. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Would you want to be the person that isn't rescued from the burning building? Is the second choice. It's the second mm-hmm. choice. That's what it is. Who's the second choice and who's the first choice? And all of that, I think it's really interesting because I think the whole idea of non-monogamy is, it's not that there's no first and second, but there's actually a conversation in the book that uses this metaphor. Of uh, well, do you love your if you were one of multiple children in a family, do you think your parent loved you less or your sibling so trying to see it as like it's a different relationship, it doesn't mean it's better or worse. it's not one per- one person can't be everything to you and and that's okay, and I think people are okay with that and acknowledge that, but it's like romance or sexual intimacy or whatever is only reserved for one person, right? That's really Mm -hmm. the monogamous norm in the culture. And so I think there's some interesting things that are happening in this email that are like playing around with that too. Because she says, I know I can't ask him to stop seeing you, although I want to. I could ask you to stop seeing him, but why should I? Things are better now. Even I can see that. So I think there's this acknowledgement that her relationship with Nick is better because he is also in a relationship with Francis. And whatever needs weren't met by Melissa are being met by Francis. And so both relationships are actually like complementary. And she also says that at the end too, I always said I wanted him to be happy. Now I know it was true all along. I do want that, even when it looks like this. I still want it. Again, I think she's not saying she necessarily wants to be in an open relationship, but she is. Right? She's
0: she's willing to give it a try. Yeah, and apologize that
1: it's better than it was before, mm-hmm. even though it's challenging for her. That it's because of Francis. It sounds like she was really, she says some really mean things about him in here. And she was feeling really not great about him as a person. And now she sees him in a different way, which again is, I think, like a non-monogamous, like philosophical principle that you are able to respect your partner as like more of an individual when you don't have this, you don't get lazy. You don't. Kind of build up this resentment because that's the only outlet you have for that side of yourself. I don't know. So I just think it's interesting. I feel like Sally Rooney is like bringing those types of questions and like philosophical principles into the novel in this like subtle way. There are some explicit conversations about it, but not between really Melissa, Nick, or it's Bobby.
0: Right. It is fascinating, especially using the certainly your parents don't have a favorite child metaphor. And it's crazy how like hard this is for my brain because that makes sense to me, the thing about parents and children. And then when I it is very hard for me to imagine not like wanting to be someone's number one and feeling Mm -hmm. this sense of there is a hierarchy. But that's just not an experience I've had. And so I can't truly understand it. And it's I know. I can see it philosophically when you lay it out, and then it's just very hard for my brain to compute.
1: <laughs> I don't think it means that it's easy to live that way in reality. I
0: think that's also what comes through here too, right? Yeah, even the thought of Frances, and Frances seemingly considers herself such an open thinker and, oh, not attached to labels and such. And she asked this burning building question. Like, to her, she is making a hierarchy in her head. and. I think later, I don't think she's comfortable with not being Bobby's girlfriend. I think Mm -hmm. she thought they were like being playful with their little jokes about not being girlfriend. But then when Bobby was like, no, you're actually not my girlfriend. This was a part where I, the first time reading it, I didn't think she was very bothered by it. And then again, pop fiction women pointed out to me, it was just this tiny line. Francis said, I thought about this the whole movie and Mm. was like, that tells you someone's upset about something but because it was just one thought I didn't give it the credit it was it deserved and that totally changed the way I read the ending of this book and I agree I don't think she was okay with not being Bobby's girlfriend I agree
1: yeah and I think I think the whole novel it's painted at that she was really hurt by this the way this relationship with Bobby ended Probably didn't want it to end. And the, in the second portion of the book, I was just looking. There is this section where Francis starts looking at the chat history that oh, he has, yeah. Bobby. And I loved that because I've done that with exes before, <laughs> not to this extent. You look back and you're like, see it with new eyes, whatever you're feeling nostalgic and I thought it was really interesting she looked up the two word like keywords she searched for because their chat history is so long were love and feelings and that is so interesting it just shows so much about like where her heart really is
0: yeah and she I, I remember in the one whatever they were talking about then she says later, Oh, I remember at, at the time I had been actually telling her to try her that tell her that I missed her. But instead we talked about like communism or something. Yeah. And and actually
1: Bobby calls her out on being unemotional.
0: Yeah. I, I thought
1: that was so interesting.
0: I think the thing I love the most about Bobby is she holds a really good mirror up to people, especially Frances. Yeah. And sometimes it's a little bit. Harsh, but I think it's also really honest and really. I think Bobby does it out of love, and I think it is a loving thing to do. Yeah. All right. What else do you got? Okay. Let's go back to Francis and Nick. Okay. Do you think they really love each other? And this is do you think Francis really loves Nick? And do you think Nick really loves Francis? I, my gut reaction is yes.
1: I do think there's something very similar about them and she clearly feels safe enough with Nick to share things with him that she doesn't share with Bobby and she talks about how Bobby can see through her when she's like she sees that Bobby is a mirror for her and she sees that she can try and hide these things from Bobby but she calls her out anyway. And she does that with Nick a little bit too, but there there was a specific scene where she starts talking to Nick about her dad for instance she doesn't talk to Bobby about that her health issues when she ultimately does share them what she's hiding or holding back from Bobby a bit about and so I think to me the fact that she feels emotionally safe sharing those things with Nick I think that's the true sign of, of like intimacy and care and like a positive relationship that you feel safe and are safe too and nick is really supportive of her in that and he and also feels safe kind of sharing his inner emotions with her in a way that it seems he needs to hold back from melissa for whatever reason so i think there's a true emotional connection there based on
0: that i think the question i keep asking myself is is that love or is it that she's just not intimidated by someone for the first time even though she is intimidated by Nick in some ways in others she's not and because her basically only point of reference is Bobby in terms of friendship and romantic relationship she's finally not intimidated by someone so much I yeah I can't tell which one it is yeah I that's interesting
1: but do you think that you want to I don't think that you should be intimidated in a relationship.
0: Right. Like maybe not being intimidated is the sign of love that yes. you feel. Yeah. That's where the, like the kind
1: comfort of, and safety. Yeah.
0: But and just, just because little, it's Yeah. Go I mean guess just because it's Francis, I'm trying to think through all the power dynamics. I think Nick does love Francis but I feel torn about if Francis really loves him because I feel like even through the end of the book she's playing games and she's and she's trying to have an intended effect in the words that she chooses she's trying to make him laugh she's trying she's just analyzing things a little bit too much for me to feel like oh that's someone in a deep loving relationship and actually something that I didn't even realize when I read the book until listening to the interview with Sally Rooney that I sent you from the Irish Times is this book takes place over just like six or seven months. And I read the book thinking it was like two years long, even though there's like many time references. It's clear that it's actually just June to December. And so part of me feels like, I don't know if this is really love yet. That's
1: a fair that's fair. <laughs> that's fast. <laughs> you can feel and like they've had so much heard. intensity too in it. Yeah. The intensity And also at that age too, but I don't know. I've definitely felt in love. Obviously, it's not the deep love that you grow to have with someone when you're in a long-term relationship. But I do feel like you can feel in love with someone within six months. Uh, I
0: think that's true. Yes, I agree. I think that's an
1: interesting point that you're pointing out that she's playing games with him until the end. And I wonder about, again, her age. And she thinks she's in love with him now. And like I said, to me, the examples from the book of their connection feel very like there's a true emotional connection. There's a true almost way of being in the world that the conversations they have that are really sparky, they make each other laugh. Like all of those things to me are like, oh, yes, this is seems like a positive relationship that could be people that are falling in love. I wonder if after the book (laughs) completes we're no longer with them. She ages five years, 10 years. She's in her, she's 30. She's his age now and he's 10 years older. She will have her own voice. She will have her own opinions. Will she look back on this and think to herself, oh, I thought I was in love with him. I Mm -hmm. did not know what I was doing. Yeah. I was drawn in by the tension of the affair or whatever it is. Which I begs could, the
0: question, does that still count as love? A part of me feels like, yes, it does. If you at the time think you love that person, even if later you're able to say, oh, this wasn't really love, but like, that's all you knew at the time. I think it still is love, but I don't know. Yeah, I am I'm undecided on her real love for Nick or not. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I feel like it'll be a uh, thank you next Ariana Grande like situation where it's Mm -hmm. like hey i learned what i need to learn thank you
0: next yep what do you think it would look like for francis and nick to quote work out when they at Mm -hmm. the end that's how the book is ended with we're gonna see if this could work out knowing that they don't really know what that means like i
1: said i think there is this like underlying question around non-monogamy and i think like the scenes of them, the four of them together, how Nick and Bobby develop this close relationship, that there's this sort of like community that they're all spending time together, developing relationships like this is a very sort of non monogamous way of being in relationship. And so for me, for them to work out, it would be that that Frances truly realizes that is the type of lifestyle that she wants to live. Because to me, it's clear that both Nick and Bobby are okay with that. Like you said, I'm not exactly sure that is true for Frances, because I do think there's like hurt and rejection that she feels from not being chosen as number one by either of those people. And I don't, I, that she could work through that and continue to be in an open relationship with both of them simultaneously, but it's possible that's just not gonna fulfill her need to be special or chosen. And obviously she also feels like the person that she chooses is very special and highly regarded by her. And so that might just be that she wants to be monogamous. So I don't Mm -hmm. know, I feel, I liked that she and Nick had to re reunite it at the end,
0: and that they left it open ended i do I do like that it was an open-ended finale to the book. I think for me, I see this running its course, and then maybe it goes the direction the comp the non-monogamous commune, or if it doesn't, for me, I think a success for them would be when they do choose to end, doing it rationally and slowly and with communication skills and okay. not just like. One person is maybe we shouldn't see each other. And then it's we're broken up, like with no further discussion, which was very much Marianne and Connell. And yeah, I think that's what I'd want to see for them.
1: Yeah. I appreciate the good communication skills are part of your hope for them. Yes.
0: Yes. I think I have, I like I told you before, I have so many questions about all these topics and I am going to ask one or two more questions about Francis and Nick because there's, it was so rich. Do you see one of them as having done more harm in the relationship than the other? Like one that's more to blame for all the drama and issues they had. Or did this even cross your mind as you were reading the story? This is maybe telling of me that I thought of this. You did think. I think mean, Francis, personally. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Tell tell me your thoughts. I also think Francis. I'm curious why you think Francis. It's the communication
1: skills. Nick tries to be open with her many times. And she ha- even she's in the hospital and she didn't tell him. She tries she reaches out and then when it's awkward she just pretends it never happened. That's just one small example, but it's there's time and time again. It's actually Rereading the book a second time, it's so frustrating. It's Mm a really frustrating communication style because you just see right through it and the way that she's lashing out, and Nick starts calling her out on it later in the book.
0: I appreciate when he finally started doing that. She still didn't get better. Yeah, I think it was totally Francis. And when I thought of, is this the parts that made me doubt that was. Frances is the only one who's like icky thoughts. We get a view into and so it's easy to really villainize her. I don't know what kind of calculating or terrible things Nick was ever thinking. And I think I also identify with I generally feel like the worst person in any kind of conflict. Like, I feel as if I have done wrong and I'm such a bad person and so I was trying to be like am I just and I identify with a lot of things about Francis, And so I was like, am I projecting this onto her? But then, like you said, as I read through it a second time, I think like her big downfalls are she always dramatizes things and does so much speculation and extrapolating and will just say these things to herself like, I know for a fact he did not want to see me. I know for a fact he did not love me. And the list goes on and you're like, none of these things. He has said none of those things. He's hardly even done anything to imply those things. And you have this, you've turned him into this caricature of being super passive. I don't even know if Nick is passive or if you just put that on him and then create the drama based on that. And yeah, I feel like he didn't stand a chance.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I just think she has a lot of growth to do around her communication and her ability to be vulnerable and open Mm -hmm. to real, to being really loved. Yes. Letting
0: someone in. Well, I had, yeah, feel that way. I had noted this time that she was talking, I think this was after her and Nick's last big breakup. And she took all this comfort in all the things he, she had not ever told him and that her biographers wouldn't be able to access all these things about her. And she took so much comfort in not being known I just thought this is so depressing. Your life is so isolated. And I see in some ways how she takes comfort in that, but it also is such an unhealthy source of comfort. Yeah, that that is, uh,
1: I also felt saddened by that. And I think it said so much about where her character is at. In her growth. And I also, I get it too, because anytime you've gone through a breakup, there's part of you that's just so glad. If you feel that rejection, I'm so glad this person didn't get this side of me or didn't get to know this about me. Like I get to, I have that so I can feel safe in that.
0: That's true. I had it actually related to it, but you're right. It actually is very relatable because you feel so powerless. And even though technically she was the one who broke up with him, she didn't see it that way because she didn't actually want to break up.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that's the piece that's interesting to me. Usually when you're the person that's doing the breaking up, I think, I don't know, at least in my experience, I feel better about it and less so of the, I'm glad that I didn't, Say this or do that. That's more of a feeling of like when you've been rejected by someone and you're like, they don't get these cool things about me.
0: Exactly. Um, but to her, it I was a rejection because she didn't realize. And that was a moment where I thought, okay, is Nick actually just passive? That he very quickly was like, okay, I guess we won't. But honestly, if I was him, I'd be like, I'm so fed up with all this craziness and back and forth that, yeah, <laughs> let's just go quick. Let's call it.
1: Let's call it. Let's
0: yeah. Keep it simple.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. I want to transition to Francis and Bobby with a Taylor Swift fun fact. Do you have Taylor Swift in every single one of your podcasts? Yeah. Actually, probably. I don't know Do if I have Taylor Taylor's Swift. Up in each, but it's probably some kind of thought has crossed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor Swift
1: Easter egg in every
0: episode. I was trying to remember what it was last time. And it I- was that I felt like the song Gold Rush was just the whole book. And I found another, this is a specific line that I think influenced the song Cornelia Street. And the line is, this is actually when she's talking about like her power in writing to Nick. And she said, I loved when he was available to me like this. When our relationship was like a word document that we were writing and editing together. A long private joke that nobody else could understand. And Cornelia Street is, we were a fresh page on the desk filling in the blanks as we go. That is totally from this.
1: <laughs> wow. I really liked that section. I really, I like the way that she describes that relationship sometimes. It's really sweet.
0: That was also a sweet section because she was, that was almost like the nicest she ever was in their <laughs> interactions. There was like some hope coming out of that. Not without a lot of little lashes out too, but it was like their sweeter exchanges on the phone and in the text messages before. For sure. So, Francis and Bobby, there is this moment when Francis is helping, or Bobby's helping Francis in the tub when she's really sick, still doesn't know that it's endometriosis. But, right. Francis later says, I felt like something changed after that bath. And she's, but it wasn't clear to me, did you think it was a good thing that changed, a bad thing that changed? Knowing the ending, I wonder, oh, is this kind of where the romantic rekindling started? But to me, there was, Whatever the clues were, I totally missed them. Did you feel like there was a change after the bath or you understood what Francis was referring to there?
1: Yeah. So there's a couple of ways that I feel like you can take it. I think there's an intimacy there where she hadn't let Bobby in that before. Maybe. To me, mm-hmm. she had kept so much else secret about her life. Like the problems she had with her parents, et cetera. So I'm like... And she even tried to hide... The medical incident from both Bobby and Nick, I think, like to your original hospital visit. It. Yep, yeah. Um, so that's one piece of it where I think it's it's super intimate to have someone care for you like that when you really can't care for yourself. And in the previous t- the previous time when she went to the hospital on her own, her mom left her alone. Left her? Oh, totally <laughs> alone left her alone when she came home and was recovering at her house. And there's a moment and I underlined it, but I'm not going to be able to find it where Francis cries alone and is like, it's okay that I'm crying right now. Cause no one can see me and no one will know that this happened. Right. Yes. So it's uh, the, that, like juxtaposition of that was the first time that she had this happen. And then the second time that this happens, Bobby, Bobby, takes her clothes off sits with her while she's in the bath calls nick for her tells nick to come over nick comes over and i think she just feels so cared for and it in a way that like maybe she never even had by her parents
0: i think you're right i think yeah i do not think she ever got that kind of care for her parents and as you're saying it i'm really the reason i missed it because it was just common human decency of course You would help a stranger who fainted on the street get home and get into the bath, let alone your best friend. But to Francis, it would have been a much bigger deal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's this line that I underlined there that I thought was really sweet, where Nick has just arrived at the house and she hears Francis and or Bobby and Nick talking about her in the other room while she's laying in the bath. And he says to Nick, she's had a really rough day. Just be nice to her. And Nick said, I know I will. And then in Francis's voice, I loved them both so much in this moment that I wanted to appear in front of them like a benevolent ghost and sprinkle blessings into their lives. Thank you. I wanted to say thank you both. You are my family now. That's on page 220. Sweet. And yeah, I think there's just... And I think it's directly after that that Nick ends up giving her money because she doesn't have any. There's just like some pivotal, there's like a pivotal moment there where she lets people care for her. She could have kicked Bobby out of the bathroom and been like, I'm going to do this myself. I don't want you to see me like that. She mm-hmm.
0: Did you see the romance with Bobby coming, like a page where Bobby kisses her outside the cafe and then... Later, them rekindling. Did you see any of that coming? No, I can't say that I did the first time that I read
1: it. Obviously, the second time you read it, you're like looking for clues.
0: Because I didn't even see it the second time. I read
1: oh, really? It. I was looking for clues. And even just the fact that she was looking back over their chat history and looking at what they said to each other that was about love. There are certain lines. There's one on 218 where they're chatting, smoking cigarettes together. The And Frances in her mind is saying the fact that Bobby, she had noticed this gave me a kind of confidence, but also served to demonstrate that nothing about me was impenetrable to Bobby. Real changes that occurred inside me were never hidden from her. I think there's just little moments like that in Frances's stream of consciousness that are sprinkled throughout. And like I said, also like this sort of like review of the romantic chat history where It was hinted at the second Mm -hmm. time around. I have a couple of, oh, foreshadowing.
0: The thing I was trying to figure out the second time around was, is this her love for Bobby finally coming into clarity? Or I was realizing even more the second time, she was in such a bad place. She had absolutely no one in her life. She was starving. She was fainting in churches. She was very sick and didn't have Nick Didn't have any other friends. Was it? Was part of it born from this just deep desperation, loneliness, and sadness? And Bobby's her only person who's to try to go back to.
1: Yeah, I don't think Frances would have initiated the relationship. But I do think there's a part of her that pines for Bobby. Or maybe even just wants to heal that rejection she felt.
0: I don't know. Yeah, having Bobby's love is like a really important proof of being a good person to her. Yeah. Do you think her, because then I also reread the email Francis eventually sends to Bobby that starts them being, well, they're technically not a relationship, gets them romantic again. And part of me was like, I feel, I think you could read this email two ways. One of which is just trying to open the friendship back. Yeah. And another, which is a romantic opening. Do you think, what do you think Frances' intention was with it? That's a good question.
1: I'm torn. Yeah, there's a part of me that thinks the whole book Frances is hoping for more from Bobby. She's jealous of her being interested in Melissa. She's always trying to impress her. She, like trying to be her best self for Bobby.
0: It's almost like she'll, she's striving mainly to be Bobby's best friend and someone who Bobby sees as really amazing. But then the bonus goal would also be to be romantically involved again with Bobby. But either way, she'll just take what she can get, whatever it is from Bobby. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And like the moment the story she writes about Bobby and there's a line on page 215 where he's talking about right before while Bobby's being so kind to her and addressing her for the bath and all of the stuff she remembers, the story she's written, which isn't very flattering of Bobby, but it characterized in quotes here, Francis's dialogue. The story characterized Bobby as a mystery so total I couldn't endure her a force I couldn't subjugate with my will and the love of my life. <laughs> i tailed at this memory. Somehow I hadn't been conscious of it or had forced myself not to be conscious. And now I remembered. <laughs> and it's almost like she, again, a story I think was like fictionalized, but real, right? Yeah. And she's almost like revealing her cards again through her words obtusely because it's quote unquote fiction. And then she has this moment of revelation when she's in this intimate moment with Bobby where she's, oh shit. I forgot you're the, the love of my life. life. <laughs> yeah. So to me, I think there's a lot of, again, it's the same kind of stuff that Frances is doing the whole book where she like doesn't dig deeply enough into her emotions because she's almost like afraid of them
0: or whatever. That's actually really interesting. Way to look at the book like a metaphor of maybe that's why I didn't see it coming, because Frances didn't see it coming either, and Francis <laughs> didn't Frances wasn't being honest with herself with any of this, so there were no signs. <laughs> I like that. I like that reading of
1: it a lot. It's like it catches us by surprise, because the narrator also doesn't realize. Would, lying to I, himself. And there's hints. Like I said, I was like, look, I was like flu hunting, and it's there, but it's not there.
0: Do you think that Francis is a better fit with Bobby or with Nick? Or I guess, but I don't know if it's the same question. But yeah, how would you describe Francis's love for Bobby? Is it? I think it's definitely on, Bobby's on a bigger pedestal. But then I'm trying to figure out: does she love her, or did, yeah, does she love Bobby more than she loves Nick? The burning building oh, metaphor. metaphor. Or does the, it
1: matter the monogamy, the monogamy side of the coin? She has to choose because she doesn't want to be non-monogamous. Who would she choose? I think she would choose Bobby. But that's maybe that's not answering your question. I don't know. You're asking me who I think she's a better fit with.
0: Yeah, I guess it's two questions. Yeah, that. And then who do you think is better for Francis?
1: Yeah, I do think Bobby makes more sense. In a lot of ways though, like I said, I think she has this like pretty positive emotional connection with Nick. It seems, it does seem like it's healing in like healing this like pain she has from her family situation with her dad, whatever it is. I don't know that Melissa was off base when she said that's why they're drawn to him because he's really stable and caring and all of those things. But in terms of like where she's headed, I don't know. I'm really torn.
0: I'm really torn about it. Same. <laughs> That's why I think both is potentially the answer. They each bring her something unique, definitely. Yeah, I think I do really like the way Bobby holds up a mirror for Francis in a way that I think almost no one else can. But they also miss each other a lot. Like, they misfire a lot, where Francis remains withholding. She doesn't tell Bobby about the endometriosis. And Bobby lets her, maybe, lets her kind of yeah. get away with not bring certain things up, doesn't confront her more about let's talk about certain things. And I kind of wonder if Frances, the pedestal she has Bobby up on, it it almost seems unhealthy. Like you couldn't have a true, deeply loving relationship when you hold someone up that highly
1: yeah. and, and hold and yourself
0: think, down so low in comparison. And I think Bobby tries to
1: say that to her even Mm -hmm. that same scene that I think is so pivotal. There's so much meat there, but that's still in 220 where you think everyone you like is special. She said, Bobby says to Francis, I'm just a normal person. Bobby says, when you get to like someone, you make them feel like they're different from everyone else. You're doing it with Nick. You did it with me once. And I think Bobby's trying to say, you can't hold people up on a pedestal like that. You can't be in a real relationship that way. So Bobby sees it, but that's Frances's thing to figure out. And it's, it's can she like maybe if she could, maybe they could be in a better relationship.
0: Yeah. So what's interesting is I have been a most identical experience. I remember it so vividly. Like I have so few actual vivid memories from school, like high school, even before that. And I remember sitting on my friend's bed. We were talking about someone I had a crush on and she said, Caitlin, you're holding him up on a pedestal. And it just shattered me. I was, because she was so right. And it had never occurred to me that that person wasn't actually that special. Like, obviously you feel people that you love are very special, but it had never occurred to me what I was doing. And I think about it all the time for just the way I think about other people in the world. Like Mm. it comes back to me again. And not, not, not romantically, it comes back in terms of friendships, the way I look at people who are doing things I think are cool, like in so many ways.
1: Yeah, yeah. Did it? Were you able to change that once it was revealed to you in that way?
0: It did help me see that I was kind of, you know, at that per- I was friends with this person, but it was a crush, and so like I knew things about them. But with a crush, you're filling in so many of the blanks for yourself, and that's why it's so exciting, is because mm-hmm. you're making them out, you're using your imagination so much, you're making Sorry. them out to be exactly what you want them to be. And I remember it did change my view of okay I still really like this person but maybe they aren't actually like the most amazing person in the world because that doesn't exist apparently <laughs> I've just learned though so,
1: learning that too yeah
0: okay so yeah talking about Francis with everyone and I love that in Francis's email to Bobby she said she talked about like my relationship with you isn't just about me and you it's affected by you and Melissa me and Nick me and Melissa and had that kind of relational awareness but t- i want to talk about for instance, self-harm and yeah. it comes up again and again of her cutting or scratching herself or punching herself squeezing herself somehow and she talks about it like this desire to try to feel safe and in control and i noticed there were i could find two examples in the book where i think she was maybe trying to find safety and control in not self-harming ways. One was when her dad called her clearly in the middle of the night, like he sounded suicidal. He kept being like, I'm sorry, I love you. And she's obviously freaking out. And she said, I tried to focus on tangible things like material possessions I have. I was listing them off to myself, my table, my refrigerator, whatever it was. And I thought, oh, is that her trying to find safety and control without hurting herself right now? And then it happened again in the church when she was thinking about the people that built this pew and the where the wood came from. And and I think, did you listen to that the interview I sent you with Sally Rooney from the Irish Times? <laughs> she talked about the self-harm and at first she was casual about it and was like, or maybe the interviewer asked it like, you know, is this a serious medical condition, a mental health issue that Francis has? And she was dismissive of that. And I was like, horrified. This is not okay. You should be seeing a mental health professional if you do these things to yourself. And then she opened my mind because she was like, you know what, I think we have too narrow of a definition of self-harm in our culture. Why don't we say that all these people who go out and get so drunk, they don't remember things that they should be in therapy. Uh, I think those people should also be, I think everyone should be in therapy. But I thought that
1: last time, yeah. Yes,
0: and so I I don't necessarily think that what Frances does is any less bad, but it made me just look at it. In a, did that change how you looked at Frances' self-harm? Yeah, what's so funny is
1: it's definitely a part of the book. And there's this book has, there's a zillion topics we can talk about that we haven't even touched on, but we're talking about the relationships. To me, it seems like something she's moving out of. And I even the fact that you brought up that it was in that Sally Rooney interview, it didn't stand out to me. And the moments where she hurts herself in the book do stand out to me, of course. They're like, you almost like viscerally feel the what she's physically doing to herself but I do think by the end of the book she's not really doing it anymore and like you said she seems to find better techniques and there's a point at which I feel like she's almost doing some sort of meditation or breathing as well and yeah it seems like she's just becoming healthier in general through through the book so yeah it didn't stand out to me because it didn't feel like It was extreme or that there was a descent into more and more of that behavior. I felt like it was getting less and less.
0: It's interesting. makes me think now, oh, I didn't actually look up when is the last time she does it in the book. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think it's, I think once she's with Bobby, I don't think she does it. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. And it almost, it seemed like it got worse from the very beginning of the book. got more intense, like in terms of how severe she would do it. You're right. But then it seems to start fading.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: My other question to you is going to be, how do you feel like Frances has grown by the end of the book or has she in any ways? I guess this can be one thing that we've noticed.
1: Yeah. And I do think there's that piece around that you brought up earlier when she talks about how being able to, the story that she writes that she gets paid for is pivotal in a lot of ways But that moment when she's like, I was able to feel differently about my relationship with my father. You're right. Mm -hmm. I was able to earn money for myself
0: in this way. I felt like that was a big deal. That definitely was. You're right. It was she glossed over it, which is a classic Francis. But it's a huge deal. She spent 20 years of her life feeling one way.
1: Yeah and oddly in both a caretaker position and also a position of wanting to be cared for by her parents and and so then when she could take care of herself and then also had these other people in her life that were taking care of her too it was like all of those things happening at once she's able to feel differently about it
0: so I think that's gross well, I wanted to sh- read this quote about, and this was some, one of her kind of past views and it made me think, okay, where do I think she's on this? Where she stands on this topic by the end of the book. And this is on page 169. She's talking about with her mom and how much her mom hates that she doesn't love her father. And then her mom says, I believe I raised you to be kind to others. And Frances asks herself, was I kind to others? It was hard to nail down an answer. I worry that if I did turn out to have a personality, It would be one of the unkind ones. Did I only worry about this question because as a woman, I felt required to put the needs of others before my own? Was kindness just another term for submission in the face of conflict? These were the kinds of things I wrote about in my diary as a teenager. As a feminist, I have the right not to love anyone. That hit me really hard. I also can relate, I think, when I was a teenager I felt super empowered by the idea of not needing people or being the one who cared less, the one who in a relationship was like nonchalant and was just like loved, but didn't give the love back, which is like a super messed up way to treat mm-hmm. people and way to think about yourself and others. And and I think it is for women a very interesting question because you can get a warped view of what feminism and independence means, mm-hmm. and think like the antithesis of love. And here, Frances is trying to point out, like, look, I did this as a teenager, as if I'm different now. And I think she did live most of the book with the same kind of worldview. Yes. I think at the end, she's trying to come out of it, but I think she's still really working on what that would look like.
1: Yeah. I have a big underline for that as well. Just the line, as a feminist, I have the right not to love anyone. So that. cutting and throughout the book, it's just like her th- throwing up those boundaries and like using almost like that philosophy to protect herself, similar to what we talked about earlier with what is power really? Is it keeping that distance, that coolness, or is it the vulnerability of showing that you care and letting people mm-hmm. care for you? She's working well, on it.
0: What's interesting is I think I appreciate the way you phrased that question about power. Is the other side of power actually or is power actually being vulnerable and open? I feel like the book almost or the characters never even put it in that positive light. They talk about I think Melissa or Nick and Francis at one point asked a question like, or Nick says, helplessness can be a form of power. I think that's the negative spin on what <laughs> you just said. Um <laughs> yeah, agreed. <laughs> and it's like trying to get to what you're saying. Mm-hmm. which I think has a lot of, what you say has a lot of value in it. And I almost, I'm like, do any of the characters actually acknowledge that? Yeah. What you
1: say, I think you're right that Nick tries to get there, but I think that his perspective is a little bit more, I don't love that line. Is helplessness,
0: yeah. <laughs> you a little step above helplessness here. Yeah. I also think in the closing line, Francis is saying, You live through certain things before you understand them. You can't always take the analytical position. And Mm -hmm. I thought that at first when I read it, I was like, oh, that's a great area of growth. Frances is trying to get out of her head and live more. Although then it's it made me, as I'm saying it now, I'm realizing I don't know if Frances's problem was ever not being impulsive. I feel like she almost is impulsive up front of actions. And then it's after the actions that she's too in her head, not Mm -hmm. before them.
1: (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) I so am. I did Nick say this to her at one point as a criticism? Oh, I think that I remember. But okay, I, wow, that would be interesting to know. I am like sad that I don't think I have that underlined. But when I read it the second time, I was like, oh, he said that to her. I feel. Quite certain that he said that to her before, but yeah, I think I think your point is very true, and I also think it's an interesting moment for her to I do think she's in her head a lot. We're in her head the whole oh, bit. she totally is, yes, yeah. she's, she's yeah. constantly like playing a game in there, so I think in this moment she's okay, what's the best thing I should do, probably, right? She's yep. not actually that much, but on the page, but Yeah, I think it's interesting for her to have this moment of, let me let some of that go a little bit.
0: And I think it is generally good life advice. Yeah. Yeah. I think the biggest thing I was wondering about Frances by the end is, is her sense of self-worth coming more from within? And does she have a sense of who she is on her own, not in relation to other people? And then as I was asking myself that question, I thought, okay, I think I'm approaching this with the bias of it's better to have a definition of yourself in a vacuum, not in relation to other people. That seems like a healthy thing to do. But then I started questioning that of, is that ever even possible because we don't live in vacuums? And is that even more desirable? And does that get you to like a truer sense of yourself?
1: I do think that you should understand what your needs, wants, desires are. Particularly one example that we've talked about a little bit on this is, does she want to be in an open relationship with these people? Or does she want to have someone that is her person and she is their person? That is something that she needs to figure out for herself. That is not something that she should just be going along with the flow of the person that she happens to be dating. I just think that there are things that are truly like values that you hold and ways that you want to be in the world and preferences and things like that needs that you should feel like you you discover about yourself and you feel really clear about and regardless
0: of your life there, situations yeah
1: who I, are you I think, yeah i think there's value in in being open to to feedback like bobby would give her right <laughs> about whatever but i think there should be could be a starting point where she feels like solid in herself of that of some of those things and
0: Yeah, that's what I'm, that's where I lean towards as well. Yeah. And I don't think that by the end of the book, she really has internal, more internal self-worth. I think she's feeling good in life because she's getting attention from both Bobby and Nick. And I don't think she's figured out much by way of, she's getting, she's maybe had a little bit of an opening with leaving the literary agency and regretting a little bit. But beyond that opening, I feel like she still has not started connecting to, like, who am I and what interests me and what drives me. Publishing her story was also mm-hmm. a little bit of a window into that, although it wasn't an entirely positive experience.
1: Yeah, and I'm going to give her the grace of you are a 21-year-old still child.
0: <laughs> yes. and, and also I should remind myself. This book was only over six months. So you don't really do that much growing in just six months. And I appreciate, I like, don't, it doesn't bother me that I don't feel like she's grown very much. I appreciate this kind of honest snapshot of six months of someone's life. This is what it looks like. You don't become a new person by the end of it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But there is food for thought in there. There is some, I think, big, the big moments are the small moments. And I think that's what Sally Rooney's whole, deal is <laughs> it's like the big moment happen in such subtle ways and so Definitely. I liked where the book ended I liked that it was open-ended I liked that she and Bobby and Nick and Melissa to some degree were in sort of positive relationship or like figuring it out and it's
0: interesting is, and I didn't really notice this until I reread it is by the end of it, Bobby is the only one who has maybe some feeling more negatively towards Melissa and Nick that mm-hmm. she, I love this about Bobby that once, I think it was after the bath situation. And once she saw how Nick really cared for Francis, it was like, then she was friends with Nick and was all in. And I thought, oh, what a good friend. But, and then by the end of it, though, and obviously we don't know what happens when Bobby knows, they're back together. But she's like, they used us like a resource. We shouldn't have trusted them. She looks back on the two of them negatively. And Frances is so funny. She's I was trying to love people, so I had to remain neutral. She's trying so hard.
1: Yeah, yeah. I actually, wow, I totally blocked that part out. I think that's just, also, I just think there's so many different angles that you could look at this pairing of four people. probably. And yeah. I see what Bobby's saying in that 100%. And also, yeah, it's more complicated than that. And they're all, again, I said this the last time and I'll say it again, like I don't see a married 30s year old couple Mm. hanging out with 21 year olds. Like I just don't see that. Not necessarily because that age gap is insurmountable, but because of the life stage they're in, like actually being in university and owning a home and having careers that are established, not saying. Like maybe if they were 24 and were just, or 22 or 23 even, and out of university, this whole plot would make more sense to me. But that's my, that's oh, it's like a little nitpick I have. The characters are compelling, but I think there's something about that piece of the plot that I'm just like, I don't know, Sally, uh, I don't know. It's
0: interesting that it happens in the summer when you can almost convince yourself these are just normal people. That's true. Living in the city. And I thought about this because I am 31 now and a few years ago, so the age gap wasn't quite as big. I was working in a high school and was coaching and there were a few, there's a few girls who I've stayed in touch with and feel like, and I haven't ever hung out with them. So I haven't done any of this stuff, but it made me see okay, maybe it wouldn't be absurd to like have them over for dinner or like, I haven't tried any of this to know if it would, what it would feel like. I've had one come and like babysit for me. She's now, when she was in college, this is all now that they've all, because now they've, many of them are like almost at the end of college. And it's really just like two. But I think it almost made me see a little bit more of the possibility of it, but that's not quite the same as 15 year age gap. And the thing though is Melissa and Nick, it's not like they didn't have kids. So they weren't like living a totally different like time lifestyle. And that's not like the only thing that would affect the lifestyle you have. But I can see how both parties, the 36 year olds and the 21 year olds might be easier to trick themselves into thinking our lives are more similar and we are more similar than we really are. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I think it's more about would you invite these young people like on vacation with your husband and your other friends? I don't know. There's the intimacy of the intimacy level of it is like a little bit off for me. And in that way, I almost see what Bobby's saying of they used us. It's like these people were like bored and in a dysfunctional relationship and wanted to feel young again and were accessing this. Through us, Definitely. I think so that
0: I see that. I guess is why I'm looking at it that way. I think that's probably yeah the most compelling reason as to why they were invited on that trip, why they were staying in their life, is they were young and exciting and seen as up and coming in the art world, which they were a part of. And yeah, yeah, if I now exactly, I'm thinking now I'm like there's there's a bunch of singers that I love who are 21. And if I had the opportunity to hang out with them, I would totally do it. <laughs> well, and even just
1: that, that's funny that we've been talking about the age gap. I, I, it's just one of those things that struck me when you were talking about how Bobby has said that. But you and I are like seven or eight years age difference. And like when I met you, you were 22 when I was 30, maybe? Yeah, I was 22, right? yeah. I don't think that it's that you can't have connection across that type of age gap. I think it's just more of the yeah
0: it's a time frame of it too like you and i started to get to know each other when i was 22 and you were 30 and we didn't go on vacation together two months later yes yeah yes. we built a relationship over time yes. they got like right into it <laughs> you're right they were besties They're there's like
1: in their intimate circle within like a couple months so that i think that is also the bizarre part of it too you're right it's the intimacy that's immediate
0: which i hadn't thought about This until now, but maybe that's also telling of how empty Melissa and Nick's world was that they didn't have other friends besides that one couple and they thought their life was depressing in that regard. And I I always thought it was Francis's. I think I thought of all of them as pathetic except for Bobby. Bobby never seemed like unhappy with her life or herself. I always thought of Francis as lonely and, but I guess uh, Melissa and Nick really were too.
1: Yeah, they had a gap. They had, they for sure had a gap in their life and were looking for. Something exciting. And these little, like beautiful, young, ingenue, creative folks were it. Were there. Yeah. It was so real. I will just say one more thing before we end. I'm curious if you have final thoughts, but just generally yeah. Tally Rooney. I just think it's really interesting that she's so popular. And after these, I haven't read the third one. I read normal people in conversations with friends, but there are so many similar themes. There are so many even similar lines of dialogue. Yes. That similar plot points, not exactly. I think they go to Italy in one book and they go to France in the other. Yeah. Right? I just, I like, it's shocking to me. I loved it. No shade. Great job, Sally Rooney. Your dialogue is amazing. I love the details in everything you write. But also, how is someone who's so formulaic so popular? Like, why are people still reading the books?
0: I had a very similar thought, especially about the hitting scene, which we actually didn't even talk about. I don't know if you remember this the scene when yeah. Francis asked Nix to hit her. I went and found normal people and read the scene where Marianne asks Nick or Connell to hit her. They are nearly the same scenes. That's what I thought. I really so are intimate. Yes. And okay. Yes. It gave me. It's interesting because if I didn't already love Sally Rooney, I would totally judge this and I would look down on it. And because I already love her, I was like, oh my god, I should take such comfort in this. Like this amazing person. Even she, you know, reuses ideas and themes and lines. Maybe I the. Mean- Exactly, in lines. Like maybe the the bar for my own like striving for perfection in life is maybe it's more attainable. <laughs> I like, <laughs> I like that. that. I like that. Okay. And it's interesting because she does, you're right. Her books are they're not about there's really not plot. It's just people and relationships and their conversations. And it doesn't matter what they're doing. There is there's never really a lot going on. And I have read all three of them. And I even I loved the third one too. The third one was maybe a little bonker. And I've also only read it once, whereas normal people, conversation with friends, I've read at least twice. So like my love for them is deeper. I don't know what I would think if there's a fourth book that comes out very similar to, and I'll be curious to see what she does. And it's a great question. I don't know the answer to it of how is she's so popular and so formulaic. And also it makes you wonder, and knowing what I think I know about her, I don't think she thinks about. The reader, when she's writing, I think she Mm -hmm. writes from seemingly a purely, like, artistic, creative standpoint. Obviously, though, she has publishers who are going to tell her what will and will not fly. And it's interesting that Conversation with Friends obviously came out with some good reviews and stuff, but she didn't go, like, crazy famous until Normal People. So it's interesting that they let so many similar things fly in Normal People. Now, I think she can do whatever she wants. She didn't have quite that power, I think, when she published Normal People.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I that specific scene in the second half of the book when Francis was asking Nick to hit her during sex, I it was like burning my memory from normal people because it's so it's such a pivotal scene. in normal people, it's not as pivotal of a scene here. No, I don't think, but yeah, I just had this moment of like. How, I love your read on it, though. I love it means that I, too, can yeah. reuse material. Still be super successful and beloved. And maybe there's something she's trying to show of, like, the similarities of people. I don't know. Maybe well, you she even be their plan.
0: Yeah, she probably does. She and even her characters are very similar. I actually, in reading the third book, talked about a lot with two of my friends. And one of them said... Oh, two of us read it much later than the third. And so by the time we talked about it, the friend who read it earliest she was saying she kept crossing Francis and one of the characters in the third book because they were so similar. And I you could see a lot of similarities, I think, between many of her characters. It hasn't gotten old for me yet, but there is, they are, I was interesting hearing her, the interview she gave after this one, and they were asking like, what's next, classic, a question and she talked about wanting to write like a more feminist or socialist novel, which would be maybe not so focused on one character, but focused on like more group dynamic. And I think at that point she had started Normal People. And so she obviously had in mind, okay, I'm going to move from first person, one perspective to alternating two perspectives. And then the third book, alternates kind of two perspectives, but is really telling the story of four people. There's two relationships and it's more, I know conversation with friends is four, is four people, but it's really just one person's perspective. And so I feel like she keeps expanding in that way. And I'm curious if that's going to grow in another element in the next book. Ah, uh,
1: Interesting. Okay. I like that. We'll see. Like that. And I'm curious if you watched any of the conversation with friends show.
0: I have watched the first two episodes. Have you watched it? No. Before I Do you want me to tell you my opinion? It doesn't look like you love it. No, I don't think I'm going to finish it. Wow. Strong. (laughs) I think I would be into it if I didn't know the story, but it's very slow. It's not that it's not well done. It's just that a slow show has basically no reward. I know they're going to change it slightly, but it's... And so I don't think it's a bad show. I think it's just not a show of interest to me knowing exactly where it's going. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to give be it a whirl. i curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah. I'm
1: going to give it a whirl. I totally forgot that it had come out. And so we were about to do this again. And I was seeing that it was on the internet and available.
0: Yes. Final Pop Fiction Women shout out is that they did, I don't know, six or seven like recap episodes. They did like recap on episodes one and two. And like they did, they're doing in-depth analysis. So I'm sure it has a lot of meaty stuff to be talked about.
1: Wow to them doing yeah. the good work. Great, They are. They are. Thanks for talking about this with me. This is yes. so thank fun. You. Thank you, yeah, Sally Rooney. Thank Say you, again. Sally Rooney. Speaking <laughs> of college, this is just taking me back to my literature major days.
0: You were a young Francis. <laughs> Except not. Just studying literature. There, but I still had some of those. The, pa- the power stuff, the vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. too. <laughs> I late.: You know what would make this podcast even better? Me saying like less. And more importantly, this show would be better if you were on it. We want every episode to include audio messages from you. To make this happen, you need to know what the episodes will be about ahead of time. And I can share that with you when you get the podcast newsletter. Sign up at DontTalkToMePod.com. And you know that thing they all say about, please leave me a review? It would be really cool if you did that. So give it a thought. Hopefully a five-star thought. Thank you.